Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so he turns to these young men. These young men are very interesting because they're in the scene right now. And he turns to these young men and he thinks to himself, should these young men go up with us to Mount Calvary? He asks himself this question, should they come? And Abraham says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. This was going to be a time for Abraham and Isaac and God alone. And they wouldn't understand. So we see Abraham now turning to these young men His young men are very important in this scene. In verse 5, And he turns to them, and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. They must not go with him and Isaac. It's imperative. They must not go. This was a time only for just Abraham and Isaac and God. And there is a sense in which it was going to be this very private time between Abraham and Isaac and God, and everyone else was excluded. Everyone else was excluded. That reminds us of the time when the Lord Jesus Christ was offered for our sins. Everyone saw the Lord Jesus Christ as he was being nailed to the cross. And then there came a time when all were shut out, and there was really only left God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who was representing man. So just as in Genesis 22.5, when Abraham shut out the young men by telling them, you stay here, you abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder. There was a time on the cross when God says, you are being shut out. Everybody is being shut out. This was a time when man was shut out. And that was the time when all the men were excluded. And that was the time when only God the Father and only God the Son as man representing man when he became our sacrifice. That time is described for us in Matthew 27, verse 45 to 46. It says, Now, from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross, From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was this darkness that came over the land. And in that darkness, it was like God was excluding everybody else. A very, very private time between just God the Father and God the Son who had become a man. Because after all, it was God's law that had been broken. It was God's law that needed to be satisfied. And long ago, God had said that he was looking for a man. He was looking for a man that could stand between sinful man and an angry God. And he stated this in Ezekiel 22.30 where he said, I sought, or I looked for, I sought for a man 
among them that should make up the hedge, that should stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none, God says. So God said, I was looking for a man, I found none. So for our sakes, that was a tragedy. That was tragic. It was tragic for us when in our sins, God said, I am looking for a man to stand in between me and you. And God is saying that his righteousness had to be satisfied. And so he's asking, who's the man? Where is the man who's going to satisfy all the judgment of God that we deserve? And so God looked for a man, this he calls it standing in the hedge, dying for our sins, and since all men were guilty of their own sin, God didn't find any man who was suitable. And just to understand how desperate this need was, I want you to think, and there's an analogy here, so don't extend it any farther. People always do that. We always do that. We always extend the analogies too far. But anyway, don't use it anyways. So think of the time when Goliath stood and defied Israel, and they were being, the Jewish people were being threatened into a mass total extermination at that time. And that was a time when Israel was going to be totally destroyed if they did not find a man. And this challenge kept coming from the mouth of Goliath, as it says in 1 Samuel 17, 8 through 11, when it says about Goliath, and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, why do you come out to set your battle in array? Not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul. And then he said this, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if you be able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. I'll, if I prevail against him, kill him, then you'll be our servants to serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man, he says, that we may fight together. Choose out a man. Give me a man. And Saul and Israel heard all those words in the Philistine, and they were dismayed. They were and greatly afraid, confused and afraid. Israel heard Goliath's challenge when he says, choose a man for you. Goliath says to Israel, give me a man, Goliath says to Israel. Israel knew that they, if they could not choose out a man to fight for them, they'd be destroyed. Israel knew that if they could not give a man to fight for them, they'd be destroyed. We knew that if we could not choose out a sinful man to die for our sins, we'd be destroyed, like Israel. We knew that if we could not, if we couldn't choose, if we couldn't give God a sinless man to die for us, we'd be destroyed. So Israel looks for a man. They couldn't find a man. We look for a man to stand in the hedge, die for our sins. And since all men were guilty like us of their own sins, we say we can't find a man. And when Israel could not find a man to save them from Goliath, that was terrible for them. And when we can't find a man to die for our sins, that's terrible for us. But when Israel chose out their man, they chose out their David, then Israel found their man, and it was David. They didn't have a lot of confidence in him, but that's okay. <laughs> and Israel's man, David, stood before Goliath, and Goliath didn't have any confidence either. Goliath says in 1 Samuel 17, 42, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He is a, but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. Looks like a little mama's boy. He says, who are you sending me here? But with Israel, it was terrible. Like with Israel, it was terrible for us until we found our man. And he stepped forward to save us. We found our man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God, God who had become a man for us. He is our David. And so as our man, the Lord Jesus Christ steps forward, and we say to God, we found our man. Here's our man. He'll stand for us in the hedge between us uh, sinners and you an angry God. And when God saw the Lord Jesus Christ step forward, then he says, I have found the man 
that I was looking for. He will stand in the hedge between God and sinful men. And so it's good for us to remember Israel's desperate state as a picture of our desperate state as God says, just send me a man, send me a man to die for your sins. And we thought, where are we going to find a sinless man to die for our sins? And we're forced to say to God, we can't find a man to die for our sins. We looked for a man to die for our sins. We couldn't find that man. Then came Pilate's declaration as he stood there and he looked at the Lord Jesus Christ. He's wearing the crown of thorns. He's all bloodied from the whipping. And Pilate says in John 19, 5, Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Now that's interesting. Pilate looks at the Lord Jesus Christ wearing the crown of thorns, and he says, Behold the man. Behold the man. And we realize that when we see him, that we found our man. So we say to God, we found our man. So Pilate says, Behold the man. And we say to God, Behold our man. And there's a world of difference. When we preach the gospel, we preach, like Pilate, behold the man. See? The difference between a lost sinner and a saved sinner is in that word. Is it the or our? With Pilate, is it behold the man or is it behold it's my man or our man? Salvation's all wrapped up in the change of that word from behold the man to behold our man. So we say to God, we found our man we were looking for to stand in the gap between us and God and die for our sins. Behold our man. And again, like Israel, in their desperate state of not being able to meet the challenge and having no response, God has said to us, send me a man who will become a lamb and die for your sins. And so we look for a man who would become a lamb and die for our sins. We say we come up empty. We can't do that. But then John the Baptist, he makes this great declaration in John 1.29 where it says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So John says again, like Pilate, behold the lamb. And when John said that, we said, well, we own him. We take him as our own. So he's not behold the lamb. He's behold our lamb. And so salvation, again, is all wrapped up in whether it's behold the lamb or behold our lamb. Because God made this emphasis to them at the Passover in Exodus 12, 3, when he told Moses, speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. And then that lamb became his lamb. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Every man had to choose out his own lamb. And that's man's decision. That's not God's decision. That's man's decision. God presents the lamb of God, but then that's man's decision. You're going to make that my lamb. And God didn't make that choice back in Passover in Israel. God did not make the choice for man, which lamb? And God does not make the man's choice for him whether to choose the Lord Jesus Christ or not. That's 100% man's choice as to which lamb he would choose at the Passover time. That's 100% man's choice as to whether or not he's going to select the Lord Jesus Christ as his lamb. And after each man had made a selection of the Lord Jesus Christ as his man, as his lamb, after each man had pointed, like in Israel, that's my lamb right there, And after each man that points to the Lord Jesus Christ and says, behold my man, behold my lamb. And then the Lord Jesus Christ goes into the presence of God as man's representative to be alone with God and with no man present as he did for man when he worked out the offering of himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And this concept is what we're talking about here when Abraham says you men are excluded. This concept of being alone with God to do the work of redemption, that's seen in the tabernacle. 
Because the tabernacle, the high priest, he went in on one day per year, on the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, once a year to make an atonement for the sins of man, as it says in Exodus 30, verse 10. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns uh, once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make the atonement upon it throughout your generations. It's most holy unto the, uh, to the Lord. See, once a year, Aaron alone emphasis on the fact that the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle once a year alone. And that's picked up, that emphasis is picked up in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 7 where it says, but into the second, in other words, into the Holy of Holies, into the second went the high priest alone, it says, once every year. Not without blood, but which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. See, into the second went the high priest alone once every year. So that Yom Kippur work And that's what it was. That making atonement work, that's what it was, for the sins of man, was a work for the high priest to be done alone with God. And there was no one else with the high priest when he went to do that atonement work. He was alone with God. And when Abraham came to Mount Moriah and offered Isaac, he says to the young man, you stay here. We're going up alone. That was a work for Abraham and Isaac to do alone, and the others were excluded. And those young men had to wait at the base of Mount Moriah to see if Abraham and Isaac would return. And the people of Israel could not come into the Holy of Holies. They had to wait outside the tabernacle to see if their offering had been received and accepted. And you know the story about how the tradition says that they tied a rope around the leg, the ankle of the high priest as he went in, because if he was destroyed, they had a way to pull the body out. And all the people had to wait in darkness at the cross to find out if the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ had been accepted by God. It was only at the end of that time of darkness that he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so it's in that darkness that they, that, that, that they heard the cry of the sinless man and the sinless lamb who made his soul an offering for sin, as it says in Isaiah 53.10. And in that darkness, man's excluded. That's the reason why it's so significant that Abraham excludes these young men from going up with him into the mount with Isaac. Now the time has come for Abraham to explain to these young men that what he and Isaac are going to do. So, you know, Abraham's thinking, how am I going to explain this to the man what I'm about to do? You know, he couldn't say, I'm going to go kill my son and offer him for a burnt offering. He knew they would never understand that. And he couldn't lie to them about what he was going to do. You know, this was not going to be Sarah's my sister uh, routine again. So he thinks to himself, I've got to be honest. I've got to be truthful. So it's going to be just me and Isaac that are going to go leave. So he starts off and he says, I and the lad will go yonder. Then Abraham thinks, well, what can I tell them? And he reviews in his mind, and he thinks to himself, what are we really going to do on Mount Moriah? And what's the essence of what's going to happen there on Mount Moriah? And he thinks to describe what he and Isaac are going to do, and there's only one word. There's just one word that comes to his mind, worship. He said, we're going to go there and worship. I and Isaac are going to go worship God on Mount Moriah. He sees it all as worship. The whole thing's worship. Abraham sees himself as he's going to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah as worship. This is worship. And I give up my son. I'm worshiping the Lord. And whenever we give to God, what really costs us, it's worship. It's an act of worship. King David, when he was faced with having to make an offering to God, and he needed a threshing floor and he needed oxen. And he comes to Aruna, and Aruna says to the king, I'll give it to you. You take the threshing floor, the oxen, you know, take it. And King David protests. He says, no. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer 
burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. He said, I won't do it. So he bought it, and it was 50 shekels of silver. So David thought of offering to God when it doesn't cost me anything. No. The more it costs, the more worship there is behind it. Why? Because giving is an act of worship. What about Isaac? Abraham saw what Isaac was about to do as an act of worship also. Abraham knew that he could not sacrifice Isaac unless Isaac was willing to be sacrificed. Abraham's over 100 years old. Isaac's probably around 30. He's a young man. Could have easily flung him off of that mountain. Isaac could have done to Abraham. Abraham looks at Isaac and he says, I see, I see in my son a willing sacrifice. And he says, that willingness is worship. It's worshiping God. That's true for us. When we give ourselves to God like Isaac does, we become a sacrifice, as it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we present our bodies to God, that's an act of worship and a living sacrifice. When we sacrifice by saying, I'm not going to let the world squeeze me into its mold, that's an act of worship. When we say, I'm going to give my mind to God to be transformed, to be, to be renewing of my mind, that's an act of worship. So he tells the young man, we're going to go worship. Now, what Abraham was saying to the young man, the young men there, was that I and the lad are going to go yonder. I and the lad are going to worship. I and the lad are going to return to you again. That's the way the Hebrew reads. Literally, we will return, come back to you again. Now, why did Abraham say, we will going to come back to you again? Because that's what Abraham was expecting. And that, that pronoun, we, and we will come to you again, is what the book of Hebrews picks up on and emphasizes in Hebrews eleven nineteen when it says, accounting that God was able to raise him, Isaac, up, even from the dead. We say that last week. So Abraham was convinced in his mind he was convinced in his mind he's going to kill Isaac. He was convinced in his mind he's going to burn Isaac into a pile of ashes. And then he's convinced in his mind God's going to raise him out of those ashes. God's going to bring him back from the dead. So as far as Abraham was concerned, Abraham was fully expecting. Abraham was very surprised when his hand was stopped. He was fully expecting to kill Isaac. And he thought it all through. He saw the, the knife going to Isaac. He saw the blood coming out on him. He saw the fire. He saw the burning up of his son in the pile of ashes. And then he said, and then I'll sit there and wait. I'll wait in expectation until Isaac is brought back from the dead, brought back out of this pile of ashes here. He was so sure that that was going to happen that he confesses that to the men. He says, we'll be back. And think about that scene about Abraham sitting there, and he's thinking in his mind, look, I'm going to sit in front of these ashes and wait for God. You know, he was sure that's going to happen. And that's a very important, just as sure that we are that God's going to raise our loved ones, like Pastor Jim from the dead. Abraham says to the men, he's going to return back. It's a confession of his confidence. Now, as a young man, we saw them now in verse 5. They've been excluded. Now the switch in our focus is to this very, beginning of this very intimate scene between Abraham the father and Isaac the son. And we read in verse 6 that Abraham takes the wood of the burnt offering, lays it on Isaac his son, takes the fire in his hand, a knife, and they went both of them together. Now, from verse 6, we can see Abraham bending down, takes the wood for the burnt offering. We see Abraham laying the wood on Isaac. And as we see Abraham laying the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac to carry it, Isaac, here's son, you carry it up to that top of that mountain. And we see the Lord Jesus Christ as a cross. It says in John 19, 16, they then delivered to him, therefore, to be crucified. They took Jesus, led him away. And he bearing his cross. 
And Isaac bearing his wood, and the Lord Jesus Christ bearing his cross, went forth unto a place called the place of a skull. And so Abraham and Isaac, they walk off from those young men. And those young men, they see Isaac bearing the wood that's going to be used to make a burnt offering to God. And the people in John 19, 17, they look at the Lord Jesus, they see him walking off, and they see him bearing his cross that he's going to be nailed to. And then we see Abraham, he takes in his hand, in verse 6, it says, the fire in his hand and a knife. So in verse 6, we can see Isaac, he's bearing the wood. We can see Abraham taking the fire in his hand and a knife. The fire means he had some kind of glowing ember that could be used to start a fire. And the fire represents the judgment of God. It's the judgment of God. We can imagine how Abraham, he's carrying that fire, and he looks at that fire and says, this is not just fire, this is sacred fire. This fire is going to burn my son up. I'm carrying the fire that will burn my son up into a burnt offering for God. And so Isaac sees the fire also in his father's hand. He says to himself, I see the fire that will burn me up. I see my father, Abraham, he's carrying the fire to make me a burnt offering. And even though Isaac saw the fire, Isaac doesn't turn away. He's a willing sacrifice. And then it says in verse 6, see all these details are given so that we can be drawn right into the situation. This is not cliff notes God's giving us here. This is details. So it says in verse 6 that God, that Abraham carries the knife. The knife represents the execution of the judgment of God. And so again, we can imagine how Abraham saw this knife as a sacred knife. He says to himself, this knife I'm carrying in my hand will kill my son. And Isaac saw the knife in his father's hand. And he said to himself, I see the knife that's going to kill me as a sacrifice to God. I see my father Abraham carrying the knife that's going to kill me as a sacrifice to God. And as in verse 6, this paints this picture very clearly for us of Isaac carrying the wood to make him a burnt offering, of Isaac looking at the wood to make him a burnt offering. The picture in verse 6 is so graphic for us because we could give this title in verse 6, we could give a title in verse 6 of in his father's hand, in his father's hand, because Abraham is carrying the fire in his hand to make Isaac a burnt offering. Isaac looks at the fire in his father's hand to make him a burnt offering. Abraham's carrying the knife to kill Isaac as a sacrifice to God, and Isaac's looking at the knife in his father's hand. It's not just any knife. It's in his father's hand to kill him as a sacrifice to God. And these dramatic sights, all the drama of these sights of Abraham looking and Isaac and looking at the wood, the fire, and the knife, the most conclusive statement, which is so dramatic after you read all this stuff, is it says they went, both of them, together. They both saw it all. They went both... Even seeing the wood, the fire, the knife, both Isaac and Abraham, the scene is yachad. They're together. Same word that's used to describe God. They're together. They're going to make Isaac a burning offering to God. And that reminds us of how much it cost God the Father to give his son. It was very painful for God the Father. We we say John 3.16, but that's a painful verse for God the Father when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. That was pain, his only begotten son. In Romans 8.32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, us all. That was pain for God the Father. How much it cost God the Father? How much it cost God the Son when he kept saying over and over again in the Gospels, in Matthew 20.28, 20, when he said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In John 10.15, I lay down my life for the sheep. In John 15.13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. First John 3.16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. See, those are the words that were in their minds. God the Father's mind. God the Son's mind. 
in God the Father's mind, I am going to give my only begotten Son. That pains me. In the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am going to lay down my life. That pains me. And yet it says about Abraham and Isaac in the end of verse 6, they went, both of them together. And as they say about God the Father and God the Son, they went together. I think that's the primary meaning of the Deuteronomy 6, 5, 6 4 Shema. It says the Lord our God is one, Chechad. They're together. They're in agreement. And so we see how God the Father, God the Lord Jesus Christ, who became a man, went both of them together forward to the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these pictures that you've given to us here between Abraham and Isaac to help us understand what happened when you gave your son and your son became our man to die for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.